namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa aparuta desangamatassa tawara esodavanta So just admiring the spring day, everything's springing forth with blossoms and leaves after a barren winter. And this afternoon's opportunity to reflect on Dhamma. So I'd like to reflect on losing your mind. So this is a phrase in English usually meaning you're going crazy, you lose your mind. And yet in meditation, the whole point is to lose the mind, to let go of it. So what we, the word mind is a kind of generic term for a mental phenomena, anything mental. So in defining mind from consciousness, consciousness means, you know, it's not limited to mental states. It's where mental states, whether they're positive or negative, rational, reasonable or crazy, they arise and cease in consciousness. So in bhavana or meditation is to realize pure consciousness rather than just keep developing habits by clinging and reacting, resisting, indulging in mental states. Mental states are phenomenal. They arise and cease. They, they're very impermanent. And so one mental state can't know another. He can't. Hatred can't know love. Right can't know wrong. Right and wrong are mental states. Love and hate. Usually how we use the word love is usually defined as liking something a lot. <clears throat> but then love can also be ex extended into consciousness, which is where wisdom manifests in our lives, in conscious awareness, knowing the way things are. So, so many words we use are just habit patterns. How, what, you know, how to define them, how to, how, how we are accustomed to using words. Just, for example, the word love is, uh, used very, for almost everything. Hate is usually a word that means extreme dislike or disapproval. And losing the mind, losing is like a gift to lose the mind, to be able to let go of mental states, both on the positive and negative side. This is where wisdom manifests in our lives as individuals. So wisdom is a word, you, you can have worldly wisdom, 
street-wise wisdom, wisdom in, you know, in, in worldly conditioning, but, but wisdom in this sense of panya, the Pali word panya, is not about learning to survive in the world as an individual uh, person, an individual being, but it's understanding the way things are, knowing, understanding, knowing the way it is. So knowing the way it is, then in the Bharyati Dhamma, in the scriptures, Pali scriptures, is very clearly stated all conditions are impermanent. All Dhamma is not personal, is not a separate self. So these are, this is wisdom from scriptural teachings. So we respect that. But do we really understand it? You know, do we actually apply it to our experience, to the way we live, what we do, what we think, what we say? And so meditation, or bhavana in the Buddhist sense of meditation is understanding the way it is, understanding all conditions are impermanent. That means everything. Everything you can think of, everything physical, everything we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, feel, think, good or bad, right or wrong, heaven or hell, all languages are conditions. Pali and Sanskrit are conditions. Tibetan and Chinese are conditions. And not to mention English and Thai are all conditions. So when we reflect on the impermanence of, of phenomena, we're, we're not just repeating the words in a kind of, in a, in a chant, but we're actually investigating. Is there something permanent? Are mental states permanent? Are mental states, whatever you think, or emotions, whether they're sensible or nonsense, They are impermanent, like madness is impermanent, depression is impermanent. Just sensual love is impermanent. Everything that we can think is impermanent, but what is permanent in the reality of here and now? So I encourage you to investigate what is permanent in the here and now reality that each of us is, is experiencing at this very moment. So this is a way of investigating reality. So you're not just attached to scriptural teachings, because scriptural teachings are impermanent but they're pointing to what is permanent. So when you think of yourself as a kind of permanent person, or we think of each other, we think, think of, of somebody we knew 20 years ago, and, uh, and 20 years later we remember them, that memory comes and goes, doesn't it? And is that person the same person you know that you knew 20 years ago? And of course, in reason, in logic and reason, we know they're not. But we can still carry grudges from childhood about being mistreated, abused, into our old age, because we attach to memories of the past. 
And every time we remember unpleasant experiences, then we have this same reaction of aversion or anger, resentment. So as long as we're bound to this, these, these mental states, whether they be positive or negative, the, it's a form of bondage, of slavery, that we can carry with us throughout our lives without realizing what we're doing. <clears throat> there's so much conditioning, you know, like the, there's so much emphasis now in modern politics about critical race theory. What is race? About sexual orientations, LGBTQ identities. What are they? You know, so, so these are new identities. Maybe they're not so new, but they're, they're more conscious that these are new conditions that we carry into the present moment and have form of opinions or emotional reactions to. But what is aware of that emotional reaction, whether it's racially prejudiced or biased in various ways, politically biased, religiously biased, gender bias, whatever bias we have, there's an awareness that it's like this. What is aware of the biases that, that people carry in their minds as their memories, their mental states? And so losing our minds can also be seen as, as a great gift. It's not that uh, that we become like zombies or void of feeling or anything, but we're no longer enslaved to the memories of the past or all our tendencies to project into the future all kinds of problems, crises, horrendous fears that we project in the present moment and that we can project in the present moment into the possible future. So apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. Santiti Kodama. And as I've reflected many times, again and again, because I want to keep reminding you because we, we so easily fall back into the old habits of memory, uh, identifying with our thoughts, our biases, our prejudices, our conditioning. And we reinforce that just by either trying to repress it or just believe in it. So it's not about getting rid of your mind. It's not about a resistance or a suppression or an annihilation of the mental states, but it's freedom from them. So what is aware of mental states? Why are you aware when, when anger arises? You know you're angry. You know there's anger, but you, you see it as some kind of personal uh, conditioning. You take it very personally. So we have anger problems, problems with fear, anxiety, where, where we tend to worry about life. We have guilt about things we remember from our past. We have resentments. We have ideals about how th life should be, you know, so we, we're very attached to idealizing life, making perfect scenarios of perfect men, women, monasteries, politicians, leaders, kings, queens, 
senior monks, senior nuns, how they should be. We can all create the perfect senior monk or senior nun in our minds. But what is aware of that? When we just create, imagine perfection in any form, you know, it's a beautiful form, yes. But it's also very impermanent. And to keep holding to the form of perfection, then we have, to, we're not really reflecting on the way life actually is. <clears throat> it's not a perfect form. Forms are changeable, they're impermanent. So no matter how beautiful, how good, how righteous, how superb they might seem when we think of them and we cling to those ideals, life is like this. Means that it's this endless, relentless, inexorable changingness that we reflect on. This is where wisdom can manifest. Because we see this for ourselves. We investigate everything that we're feeling, thinking, experiencing through the senses, the conditioning we've received, whatever that might be, the, the belief that you are the physical body, that you're a man or a woman, the conventions that we're using, whether you believe you're a bhikkhu or a siladhara or an anagarika, you know, then these are conventions, mental states, like any others, any other identity. So losing one's mind can be a freedom or liberation. Because the nature of consciousness is peaceful, it's perfect. So actually, you know, when you begin to, to realize, you know, what, what is perfect, any form, any ideal, you know, is you can create images of perfection, but that's not what you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, permanently think or feel because Life is impermanent. The sen these bodies are impermanent. The senses are impermanent. The objects of the senses are impermanent. So in Vipassana, in these form, like four foundations of mindfulness, the reflecting on this impermanent with the body, with feelings, with mental states, And we use the Dhamma teachings <clears throat> to, they're kind of guidelines. They're not doctrines of perfection. They're not ultimate reality, but they're conventions, skillful means to remind us, to reflect on the way it is. So pure consciousness, when we chant, Vinyanang anidasanang anantang sapadopabang. This is quoting from the suttas. Invisible, infinite, being everywhere. So you can't find consciousness as an object. It's not, it has no form. So trying to find consciousness as an object is, is, is a waste of time. You can find mental states very easily. Just be the, the witness, the observer of what you're feeling. And it's learning to surrender to this witnessing position. It's not a 
stressful position to take. It's not about making yourself mindful and paying attention to everything that happens as some kind of, this is an ideal we might form about mindfulness. But it's learning to surrender, to relax, to open to the way it is, this open conscious awareness here and now is like this. And this is where we begin to recognize silence. It's the background, the substratum. Behind all the noise of your mind and all the views and opinions you can be indulging in or resisting is the silence. then wisdom is here and now. It's not something that you acquire through thinking wise thoughts or holding to views about meditation or religion of any sort or holding to any views at all. But through seeing views as views, some are good, some are not very good, but they all are impermanent. So all conditions have that common characteristic of impermanence. So when I first had insight into this, you know, I felt, you know, everything's impermanent. It became almost, it felt like a kind of nihilism and nothing's worth bothering with. So I formed another opinion. So, you know, then, then because if the Buddha said everything is impermanent, then Theravada Buddhism is impermanent. The suttas are impermanent. And they're not self. So everything, everything I think, the, then what's left if, if I'm not a, some kind of permanent condition, what am I? What's left when you've let go of the world, when you've freed yourself from opinions and views, concepts, is awareness, conscious awareness, consciousness, silence. Silence has no language. But it's here and now, and it's reality. That is, that is the ability to reflect on the moods, the mental states, the prejudices, the biases, the opinions, the concepts that you might still be enslaved to. So this is what liberation is like, to know that you don't know anything, that the knowing is what we are, just the knowing, not knowing anything, but just the knowing, the conscious, open conscious unknowingness. And then you find that's that's what we really are. But even those words you let go of, they're just more or less suggestions. So you can't find open unknowingness just through having the words, uh, consciously reflecting on the words. It's like trying to find yourself or see your own eyes. 
And also, you know, it's, it's impossible to, to find consciousness or to define it with words, because words are themselves impermanent conditions. So it's learning to trust this awareness under all conditions, whether, you know, in sickness or in health, whether you're loved or hated, whether life is pleasant or miserable, the open unknowingness is never destroyed by the changing conditions, the impermanent conditions of the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, or mental states. So in meditation, like many of you have experienced, as you open up and relax, as you stop trying to control everything and attain samadhi and, and find peace as some kind of object that you desire, sometimes the mind states won't let us. They'll become obsessed with negative mental states. And so, you know, then we we think of meditation as learning to control the mind. So we, you know, we become obsessed with trying to control the mental states by trying to think positively all the time. But in winter's retreats, there's oftentimes there's three months of silence. and you have so much time to yourself where you can't just watch the breath or, or just uh, do formal meditation techniques. That you probably think you should be doing. So be aware of that, how you, you conceive, how you form a concept of what right meditation is about concentration, about the word samadhi, about getting, using words like getting samadhi or getting rid of defilements. And when the negative mental states arise, rather than trying to suppress them, because that, that is a form of attachment, resistance to evil, to negativity, is a form of attaching to it. You're empowering the, these negative states through resisting them because you believe they're yours. You're operating that the mental states, unpleasant mental states are your problem. Or you project it out on others. But what is aware of this tendency to project our anger, our jealousy, our fear onto the world around us. What projects these mental states into the future or holding on to memories of the past is this awareness that is here and now, apparent here and now and timeless, that is non-personal. So uh, negative mental state, memories of the past or fear, uh, you know, I've reflected on it so many times. The past, we can live in the past. As you get old, older, like old people, we tend to remember the past. 
The other day I telephoned my sister. She just turned 90 years old. And I like to think of my sister in the past. Kind of nostalgic memories of early childhood. But I know that is, I know what I'm doing. I'm not attached to those memories. But we can just be attached to memories of the past, whether they be positive memories of childhood pleasure and happiness and innocence or unpleasant memories. And what is aware of memory is not a memory. A memory can't get any view on memory. A memory is an empty, soulless object of the mind, of the consciousness that we can be aware of. It is what it is. It can be powerful. It can be foolish. Whatever quality you want to give to it, it is impermanent and not self. So these teachings of the Buddha take us to Niroda, or the end of suffering. And so we think, we assume from the thinking mind, from the intellect, that when we read the scriptures, that if we meditate in the right way, we aren't going to suffer anymore. So we may spend years sitting still and developing concentration, and, uh, you know, then wondering why, you know, after so many years we're still suffering. Because we, we haven't really recognized the causes of suffering. We can still the mental states through concentrating on objects, samatha meditation, on forms, refined forms. And we can have refined forms as conscious experience, which are very pleasant, very nice, but they're also impermanent. So everything is impermanent. Deva realms, the Brahma realms, are all impermanent. So even paradise is impermanent. So this means every, absolutely everything that you can think, feel, experience through the senses, imagine, good or bad, right or wrong. Now that's not just an intellectual belief, you know, like if you just hold to that alone, then you do get this feeling of nothing is worthwhile. It's all empty phenomena rolling on. We're all gonna die. What's the point of anything? Because we, we haven't investigated the causes of suffering. Through that investigation of Clinging to desires, understanding desires, recognizing desire or dhanha as another condition. You know, even the desire to get rid of desire is, is another condition. So it's not about getting rid of. Losing your mind is not about getting rid of mental states and ha not having any mental states. Or going crazy. Because crazy is another mental state that is impermanent and not self. So when you've let everything go, the second noble truth is about Letting go. Letting go is not annihilation, but relaxing, observing, 
with conscious awareness the way it is, the, the changing flow of what we experience through the senses, through these bodies, mental states, they're like this. As soon as we come in of a, the quality of the mental state, then it becomes more than what it is. Like even an angry feeling, even of saying this is an angry feeling is making it more than what it is. Because anger is, a, you know, what we don't want. If we're living in this uh, monastic form, samana form, we don't want to live a life of anger and we can feel guilty about it. But even the word anger or greed or delusion are words. And it's not about just clinging to words and labeling everything as good or bad, right or wrong, but noticing the impermanent nature of anger. And in that willingness to let go of anger and just observe it and not claim it as, as some kind of personal defect, you know, that anger ceases and that's Naroda in the here and now, Pachubhanatama. So the third noble truth is Naroda, cessation of suffering, can be realized individually by the wise, through wisdom. So it's these simple reflections on the end of suffering that we begin to Trust, the silence, in the silence, the non-grasping, there's no suffering. But we still get sick, we still get old, we get diseases, we get pain. The bodies are like this. You know, that's their nature is pleasure and pain, human form. It's all about sense, sensitivity. So the body is still, you know, after realizing the end of suffering doesn't mean the body doesn't feel pain or you don't get sick anymore or you live in a realm of bliss, a kind of a magical realm that you imagine. But it's learning to reflect on the way things are and trust that reflective ability. Conscious awareness is the door to the deathless, the gate to liberation, to freedom from the conditioning that we're experiencing through these forms. So in your life here at Amravati, I encourage you to, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, you learn from it. You learn from anger and greed and, and confusion. What do you learn? You learn that they are, they are impermanent and not self. So suddenly you're no longer bound to, to defining yourself with labels, positions, qualities. Because that is suffering, to be, to be attached to a position, to an identity of any sort, is still suffering.
So in worldly life, just by trying to become wealthy and and find happiness in through uh, the senses, you know, one finds that it's very impermanent. And there's always fear and possibility of loss and things going wrong in the future. Climate change is another perception of the present age that is very scary. Nuclear war, the threats of nuclear war, weapons of mass destruction, World War III beginning in Europe. You know, these are perceptions we have that are very common at this time here in the UK. But they are perceptions, they're words, they're concepts that if we attach to them blindly, then we suffer because they, they create a sense of fear and dread about the future. So that is, the future is, you know, in terms of the reality of here and now, the silence, the future is what we don't know. Could be anything. Success, failure, good health, bad health. As a person, as a samana, as a monk or nana, you, you know, are you going to get enlightened in this lifetime? Are you wasting your life in this form? Or should you be doing something else? Uh, is there a better way to live? Or is this the right tradition for you? And, and uh, all these kind of questions that we create in the mind can teach you that, what do they say, all of them? And when you want to devote your life to the Sangha, to Buddhism, to Dhamma, and when you're inspired, that also is impermanent. So when we're inspired by monastic life, by Buddhist teachings, and we want to devote our lives to it, perpetuate the teachings, spread Buddhism to others, make it available so others can learn from it. We have all kinds of altruistic aspirations towards uh, the society and the world that we're living in. And then when we become disillusioned with Buddhism or disappointed, you know, all these wonderful aspirations are impermanent. So it's not that there's anything wrong with aspiring, but it's also wisdom to see that when you're inspired, it's like this. When you're full of faith and inspiration, it's like this. When you're full of doubt, aversion, worry, it's like this. So it's like this is a, is a, is a way of reflecting on the way it is. It's like this. So I remember in Wapapong years ago, and monks would get inspired saying they wanted to devote themselves to the Dhamma and be, remain monks for the rest of their lives and die in the robes with their three robes and alms bowls by their side as they sit in meditation and pass into Nibbana. These, these kind of inspiring perceptions, Lumpur said, it's all impermanent. You can't promise, make promises or vows in the present about the future. And then monks wanting to disrobe. <clears throat> is like this. The fear uh, that arises in this life, when, you, when past memories, when negative mental states, resentments from the past arise in consciousness, we think there's something wrong with us, rather than seeing it as a blessing. It's like liberating, as I've said, it's like a mental enema. It's a cleansing process to to not 
hold your life, develop a lifestyle where you're just holding back resentments and fears through indulging in, in addictive ways of living your life. It's not becoming an addict. But in freedom, liberation from addictions through habits, through conditioning, So sometimes people are so convinced their mental states are reality that they they tend to they tend to hold on to those mental states. They, you know they lose that sense of they have no no perspective on what they're doing. They believe totally in delusions of the that they create in their mind. That's insanity, madness. So the Buddha, out of his infinite compassion, gave us these teachings for us to reflect on whatever vipaka kama or kama from the past arises in the present. Vipaka kama is the memories of the past, habits from the past. whether it's good karma or bad karma. So if you've in the past been a criminal or whatever, and then you have bad memories, and if you've been a saint in the past, then you have happy memories. That's vipaka karma. But in terms of whether it's it's madness or saintliness. They are, saintliness is impermanent and so is madness. And it's through this awareness of the way it is. Start with just a simple inhalation, exhalation. Anapanasati. You know, that's the pattern of all conditioned phenomena. You have to inspire. Inhalation is like being inspired. Exhalation is, is losing that inspiration. So do you favor one over the other? Or when you begin to notice, when you, we usually just breathe out of habit, not noticing, till we start meditating, then we teach her, suggest uh, mindfulness of the breath, An inspiration, an inhalation is like this, an escalation is like this. Suddenly you're, you're, you're recognizing, what is it that's aware of an inhalation in the present? It's not a mental state, it's awareness. An inhalation is like this, an exhalation is like this. So it's not exciting or Interesting can be quite boring, but it's also a pattern of all conditioned phenomena. What arises ceases, what is born grows up, gets old and dies, is like this. You can't just inhale or be inspired throughout your life. So one depends on the other. You know, just try to imagine uh, having a permanent inhalation. You know, it's absurd, isn't it? It's laughable, comical to imagine somebody wanting a, a permanent inhalation. Or a permanent exhalation. But inhala inhaling is like this, exhaling is like that is a way of training yourself just to pay attention to the most simple, banal experience that, that we're having at this present moment. Then applying that to everything else, 
through mental states, through the states of mind, the jitta, the changing conditions of love and hate, like and dislike, inspiration, boredom, disillusionment. We all learn from, they're all, you know, teaching us about impermanence and not-self. So if you don't have a self, then who are we? And we don't have to define, you can't define yourself when you see the impermanence of conditioned phenomena. There is no self, permanent, separate self. There's Dhamma. There's conscious awareness, which we all share. It's not like personal, is it? Conscious awareness is not something, you know, you acquire. Not some kind of mental or meditation technique. It's natural. It's here and now. Silent. It's peaceful. So we have a week left of this retreat, winter's retreat. Then we can start projecting into the future all kinds of possibilities. But it's not that we shouldn't do that, but being aware of what we're doing. Like I'm planning to, to visit, I'll be going to Geneva in a few days, for 10 days. So I'm making plans to fly to Geneva. But I know that those are just conventions, you know, because so, it could change about what if I get COVID between now and the time to depart and all kinds of doubts, possibilities for not uh, being able to go on this journey to Switzerland is like this. But what I trust, my trust, my faith is in the here and now awareness, silence, the absolute silence of pure presence is not a personal quality I've developed through being a monk. It's available here and now to every single one of us. So I offer this as a reflection for today. Can you 